Thank you for coming today to Outward Church. We're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 13, so you can turn there. Uh, I'm excited about membership and what's happening with that at Outward Church. Uh, we're asking everyone who's a part of Outward Church and who, if you've been here for um, at least uh, three months, you've been a regular attender and uh, that kind of stuff, we're just asking that you'd at least hear us out. I, we know that there's people here that have a deep belief in the scriptures and you say, I don't see that in the scriptures. I don't see membership. That's, we've heard that many times over just about uh, membership and I just I want to challenge that. Just briefly, just uh, because the Trinity, the word Trinity is not in the scriptures, and yet we believe that God is a Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's things in scripture that we get from scripture that you don't necessarily find the specific word in there, and so we want to encourage you to be a part of membership. So here's what I'm asking. If you're pushing back on membership and you're saying, I think it's unbiblical, I don't like it, I, I don't like the idea of committing myself to something, first of all, I want to ask um, is that really uh, where you want to be? That you don't want to be, uh, you don't want to be asked to be committed to something. Uh, we're asking you to be a part of it. Uh, but then, secondly, would you just hear us out? Would you hear hear us out in this and uh, come to the membership class today? If we have room, you can find out more out at Connect Central. Just just hear us out. You listen to my preaching just about every week. You listen to the elders here. Uh, would you trust me in this? Would you trust us? It, you don't have to sign on the dotted line. You don't have to do anything like that. But just hear us out. That's, that's all we're asking for. And, and, and guess what? If you don't agree with us in the end, we're still going to love you. I know that's a surprise, but we're still going to love you. We're still going to uh, treat you with uh, grace and, and mercy. We pray that you do the same for us. We're going to be in Genesis th chapter 13. As I said, we started talking about uh, Abraham. And the call of Abram, uh, his, his name is actually Abram at this point. God changes his name to Abraham later. So I, some, sometimes I go back and forth between those names. I'm going to try to remember right now to call him Abram. But we've been talking about Abram. And in many ways, we see him as a hero of the faith. He's really kind of the beginning of our faith. It's, it's the beginning of kind of this propulsion towards Jesus in the New Testament. And uh, so, but the problem is, is that sometimes we put uh, Abram or Abraham on a pedestal and we say this guy's a hero of the faith because of all the things that he does. And the, the issue with that is that you can get caught up in all of the things that he does. But I think that today there's re there really are some great things that he does. In chapter 13 and really in uh, some subsequent chapters here, there's a, a contrast and a, a comparison between Abram and his nephew Lot. His name is Lot, L-O-T. There's this contrast between them, their choices, how they live. And so today is really about a contrast that's going on between these guys' lives. And in many ways, I see this contrast in the church. I see the contrast between people who are walking in faith with Jesus and the people who... Uh, probably have faith. I say probably because I can't know for certain. I don't know whether you're uh, walking with Jesus or not. But they're, they're walking in, in, in faith to some degree, or they have faith, they believe in God, or something along those lines. They have a Christian upbringing. They, they have some semblance of faith in God, but they continually do stupid things. Stupid things. All of us are in this camp at, at some point or another. But you see this contrast between the people of faith who are walking in wisdom and then the, the people who are kind of in the faith, 
but yet there's just not wisdom there. And you see the outcome of their lives. You see what's going on in their lives. And so I want to challenge you this morning to hear me out on this and, then, uh, and, and, and to really challenge where you're, where you're coming from, how you're living. Genesis chapter 13. I'm going to read the, uh, read the chapter here. And then we'll get going. So Abram went up from Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered, Everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, if you remember last week, what we saw was that Abram had been hit with a famine. He had, he had placed faith in God. He had gone off the tracks a little bit by stopping in Haran instead of going where God had told him to go, which he didn't really know where that was. But he stops in Haran, and then he exerts faith again. He begins walking in faith, and then famine comes after his faith. And what we said last week is that famine often follows faith. Difficulty comes after you have put your faith in God. Difficulty comes, and, you, and, and it catches, catches us unexpectedly. And so Abram, instead of stopping and asking the Lord, saying, what should I do? Lord, would you provide for me? Or whatever it is that he should have done, he stops his worship. The worship of God stops he stops building altars everywhere he goes, and he goes into Egypt. On top of that, he lies 
and says uh, that his wife is actually his sister, which was a half-truth because she is his half-sister. He lies about that, and then God brings these plagues on Pharaoh's household, who had taken his wife, brings these plagues on Pharaoh's household because of this, Pharaoh says, why did you tell me she was your sister instead of your wife? Take your wife and go. And Abram is humiliated. And Pharaoh sends people to just get him out of here. And he goes. And the striking thing that you see all the way throughout there, there is no altar building to the Lord. There's nothing. He's not talking to God. He's not walking with them. This is really kind of the flow of faith that we have. There, there's times when we're feeling passionate and we come to worship at church and we just go, oh my gosh, this is so amazing being with all these believers and, and we're worshiping passionately. And then there's those days that we don't feel like going to church. We don't feel like being a part of what God is doing. And we're making decisions perhaps that are negative in our lives and we don't even realize it. And so this is Abram's position as well. So what he does is this. Look at verse 13, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. And then it says that he was uh, <clears throat> very rich in livestock and in gold. He had kind of gotten a lot of that because of being in Egypt. He had gotten a lot of this stuff from Egypt. And it says, and he journeyed on from the Negev. If you look at the end of chapter uh, chapter, or in the middle of chapter 12, he was journeying on, still going towards the Negev. Now he's kind of getting back on track as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. Look at these words. To the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. So he had gotten off track. He stopped the worship of God. He stopped uh, connecting with them. He makes a decision on his own, says, you know what, I'm gonna go to Egypt. That seems easy. That's gonna fix my problems. I don't got food, I'm going to Egypt. He goes there, no worship, no worship, no worship. Goes, oh crud, I've made a huge mistake. Goes back, and what does he do? He does the things that he did at first where he had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. This is the place of worship, where he had made an altar at the first. And what's he do there? He calls upon the name of the Lord. What's happening in those moments? Well, I think we can sort of kind of make some guesses here. He's reconnecting with God. He has left God, and now he's back. And he comes back to God. And what's the thing that you should do? If you've left God, if you've walked away, if you know that you've sinned, if you know that you've created some great catastrophe in your, in your life, and you say to yourself, like, I, man, I don't know how God could forgive me. I don't know how I'm ever going to deal with the shame. What's the thing to do? The thing to do is to come back to God, to come back to the place of worship, to reinstitute the practices of faith, such as being in the word, prayer, worshiping God with all that you have, coming together as a church, being open about what's going on in your life, and talking to God, calling upon the name of the Lord, 
What this means is that it's confession. It's saying, God, I identify where I have been, and I want to see you put me into a new place. I want to see you thrust my life into another direction here. It's confession and repentance. It's walking with the Lord. It's doing the things that you had done at first. How many of us deal with the shame and then never come back? We deal with the shame of, what's, of what we've been involved with and then we don't walk with the Lord. You're not alone. We're all in the same, same area, the same place. And what is that? It's just a place where it's just like, man, I just don't want to talk to him right now. Because I feel like if I talk to him, then I'm going to be made aware of what I've done. If I get into the word, then I'm going to realize that the relationship that I'm in right now should not even be. If I talk to the Lord, then that means that I've got to go back and I've got to make amends. If I talk to the Lord, then that means that we fill in the blank. We don't want to do it. But what Abraham does, what Abram does, I should say, is that he goes back to the Lord. He does the things that he did at first. In Revelation, in one of the passages, uh, one of the letters to the church, it says you've lost your first love. Go back and do the things that you did before. And so that's where we need to be. So this is the beginning of Abram beginning to make, uh, make some changes in his life. I love Jeremiah 29, uh, 10, 11, and, and some following verses. We, uh, many of us know this verse, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans, uh, uh, plans for your welfare, w- welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We, we think, you know, I, I'll pray this prayer and, or, or I'll, I'll believe this, that God knows the plans he has for me. He'll do those things for me. A lot of times we forget the context of that, and that is that God had totally sent these people into exile. He had sent his own people. It's like he put them in a timeout in Babylon, a really bla- bad place to be. And then we take that and we say, God, I know that you just want to bless me and that's all that you want to do. But God also is willing to discipline us. And that is, uh, those are some words that are in the context of discipline. God disciplining his children. And then I love what this says. It says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Look at the heart of God right there. Do you feel like you've been in in exile because of your sin? You've been away from the church. You've been away from God. Maybe you've been in the church, but really you've been away from God because you haven't been walking with him in the way that you used to. But this is, the, this is the loving God. Then you'll call upon me and you'll come and pray to me and I'll hear you and you'll, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Man, I love that, that that is the nature of our God and he is so good. He's so amazing in that. That he is so gracious and he is so merciful that God today is saying to you, call upon me, come and pray to me, you'll seek me and you're going to find me when you do that with all of your heart. Do you want God? Seek after him. Seek after. So this is what Abram does. And it says 
this in the next verse, and I've totally messed up my notes, so I don't know what verse this is. I can't read this verse. Good grief. Got the font too small, so yeah. It, find it back there. You'll see, you, you will see and find here in just a moment. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that they could not support both of them dwelling together. So what happens is this. These two guys, they have so much stuff now. They're dwelling together. Abram is the guy who's received the promise from God, and now he's walking in the blessing of God in faith with God again. But they've got so much stuff, and so pretty soon what's happening is that their herdsmen are out there having fight club because they're like, dude, you took the best grass. Like, I was going to feed my goats this or whatever it is and so they're they're fighting uh, out there and so what happened was this in the next verse then abram said to lot let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen for we're kinsmen is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me if you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. If you, go, you take the right hand, I'll go to the left. Look at what Abram is doing. Let's think about his nature before. He leaves Ur, stops in Haran, uh, walks a little bit more, goes to Egypt, throws his, his, his wife under the bus. Says, hey, why don't you lie to me? Let's go lie to people. That seems like a good way to do this. This is a guy that doesn't seem like he cares a whole lot about people. This is a guy who isn't proclaiming the Lord in the midst of uh, Egypt. This is a guy who is just not a very nice guy. But look at what's happening in his personal relationships. It's completely unexpected because Abram is the patriarch of this family now. Dad died. He's the man of promise. He has the right to say, Lot, get out of my face. Get, move your guys over there. This is my space. Get out of my space. Get, get out of my way. He has the right to say that. But instead, what does Abram do? Abram says, listen, I don't want to fight with you. I don't want your guys fighting with my guys because we're brothers. Think about the grace and the mercy that's coming out in Abram. There's no sense of pretense. There's no, there's no sense of position. There's no sense of pride. He is acting in a loving way. And he says, listen, you pick, you, you've, got, you've got the pick of whatever you want. You take whatever you want and I'll, I'll, I'll go the other way. You just You take what you need. I, there's a proverb, Proverbs 16, 7, that rings in my ears when I read this. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. How many times within the church have we heard about people battling it out over all kinds of things? If you're in business and someone has wronged you, how do you respond to them? Now, some of those decisions are incredibly difficult. They're incredibly difficult. Should we go to court? Shouldn't we go to court? But 
This is a general principle that when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with them. It's, it's when you're going into life situations and you're saying, okay, instead of me uh, needing to be fulfilled and me having the best of everything, instead of me having uh, to, to, to get everything right and put other people down and push, push them out of my way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer them the best. Abram is sacrificially serving his, his, uh, his nephew. He's sacrificially serving him. He's sacrificially giving up what is rightfully his. And he gives that to Lot. And he says, you do what you want to do. You take what you want to take. And what happens? They separate amicably. There is something to be said for resolving conflict in a sacrificial way. Men and women, you must hear me. We want to be known. We need to be known as people who are resolving conflict in a sacrificial way. It shows who we serve. This is amazing. It's amazing what he, what he says, what he, what he does here. Instead of saying, I have to have the best of everything, he's living as though the promises of God are true. He's saying, God is the one who's going to bless me. I don't have to be the one who blesses me. I don't have to make sure that you bless me because God is blessing me. He's already blessed me with everything that I have. So Abram is walking in faith as though his promises are, as though God's promises are true. Look at the next verse. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me explain something to you really quick. This was originally written to Israel, this book, Genesis. So Israel is, is hearing this for the first time, and when it's being read to them and they hear in the direction of Zoar, they're saying, hey, that's where Sodom and Gomorrah was, and that place is a wasteland because God just like... <clears throat> Like, blew it up. And so they're thinking to themselves, that is not a really great place. I don't know why Lot would move there. And so the author says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot lifts up his eyes. And he sees, what does he see? He sees a well-watered area. It is like the garden of the Lord. It's like the land of Egypt. He looks around and he sees this amazing place. He sees how this could be a blessing to him. He sees how this would be really fulfilling to him. And so he immediately believes to himself, this is what I need. This is what I want. We see that in the next verse. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated them, uh, separated from each other. Lot only seeks what he can see. Lot is driven by his desires. 
he's driven by a very base drive inside of himself that is desiring, lusting after possibly fame, success, even more wealth. The, the thing that controls him are his desires. The things that control him are his heart. The things that control him are his, his human drives. It's like when somebody says, hey, you should follow your heart. That's what you should do because that's going to lead you to the place of happiness. This is what Lot is doing. Lot is following his heart. Lot is walking after what he wants and what he desires. There's no mention of Lot going to the Lord and seeking him. There's no mention of him looking for God to, to say, where should I go? There's no mention of Lot saying, hey, Abram, you're the man of promise, and I want to be with you because you're the guy who has the promise of God, and I want the promise of God in my life, and so I want to walk with you. Abram's, er, er, Lot is just completely driven by what he sees. He's just completely driven by what he wants. There's no thought of God. And ladies and gentlemen, how many of us say that we have relationship with God and yet the only thing that perhaps possibly differentiates us from our non-believing friend is the fact that we're at a different place on Sunday morning. Or it may be that we just believe that God exists. That's the only thing that differentiates us. They have desires and they say, you know what? The world says I should follow after whatever I want, whatever I feel like I need, whatever I, I believe my desires are, I'm going to follow that. And guess what? You're doing the same thing. I'm doing the same thing. I'm following after what my heart wants. They're following after what their heart wants. We're one and the same. There's no differentiation between us. Lot seeks only what his eyes can see. Lot makes decisions based on his heart's desires, not on the will of God. He's not seeking the will of God. And then it says this, Lot chose for himself. Lot lifts up his eyes. Lot chooses for himself. It says Lot journeyed east. In the scriptures, in the Old Testament, primarily, especially in Genesis, when you see that they went to the east or they were driven out to the east or they settled in the east, East is always a designation for away from the presence of God. East is always a decision to take a step away from God. It's, it's away from what God wants them to do. See, geographically uh, speaking, in, in, in Genesis, the author is trying to tell us that where you are geographically is where you are spiritually. 
If you're in the east, then you are apart from God. You're stepping away from God. You're stepping into a, another place. And so he journeys east. And then it says this, Abram settled in the land of Canaan. Remember I told you this is a contrast. This is a comparison. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, where he's supposed to be. Lot settled among the cities of the, of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Abram is where God wants him to be. Lot chose for himself. He was driven by his lusts. And where did he go? He went to the cities of the valley. It says he moved his tent as far as Sodom. What is this saying? Abram is staying where he's going, and this guy's drifting. This guy's getting closer and closer and closer to sin. Now, the New Testament says that Lot was a righteous man in the middle of, of wickedness, but this is clearly showing us something, and that is that Lot chose things that were getting closer and closer and closer to where he should not be. It says this, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The author of this book is trying to tell us, he's trying to show us, Abram stayed where God wanted him to be. These were the steps that Lot took. He let his eyes control him. He let his heart decide. And then he went and he walked and he got, it looks like it's saying, like he moved his tent like close to Sodom. It, he, he was just getting a little bit close to sin. He was just getting a little bit close to this area. He was putting himself in a place where it's not going to be long before he's joining in. It's not going to be long before he's there. James Montgomery Boyce says this, you may think that you're different from Lot, but if you have put your job ahead of your family's spiritual life, if you have put your social advancement ahead of a proper association with God's people, if you've let your choice of a home keep you from a church in which you can grow in faith and worship, you have moved from the highlands, where he was, to the plain of the Jordan, where Sodom was. I know you'll say that you can serve God there as well as at Bethel. Lot would have said, I'm as eager as you to serve the Lord. After all, the cities of the plain need witnesses too. That was true, they did, but Lot's heart was not in witnessing. He was doing nothing for God. His heart was set on his possessions, sophistication and glamour, and for that, he will lose everything. He, and he does. He does. How do we move our tents as far as Sodom? How do we move our tents? Always riding the line enough to keep up appearances. If I just, if I just continue to attend, that's enough. Never mind my life outside of here. I, I'll just, I'll ride the line. 
and, I, and I'll get as close as I can to sin. It's a job. It's a place of work that does not promote healthy things in your life. It's like somebody who struggles with alcohol addiction going to work in a bar. It's getting close to sin. It's like a young couple who's looking to get married who says, you know what, it's cheaper, let's live together. While you're trying to keep the appearance of, no, we're godly, we're not sleeping together, but yet you live together, you've moved your tent. If you're not there, you're close. Because I don't know how I would have restrained myself if I was in that position. From, from committing adultery with my future spouse. It is, it's the person who comes to faith. And when they come to faith, they go through all of these incredible changes. They begin to walk with, with the Lord. Or maybe they didn't just come to faith. Maybe they've had an epiphany for God. And they've made a decision in their life. Okay, I want to start following God with my life. I want to start walking with him. But what they end up doing is that they, they're growing and, and things are moving in the, the right direction. And then one day they say, you know what? I, uh, I've got this great opportunity over here. And it totally takes them out of the community of faith. I have seen this happen so many times. Someone who's weak in their faith but growing all of a sudden says, you know what? I can go there. I can go do that. And it, it is much like Lot who says, you know what? I'm going to move really close to Sodom. I'm going to get really close to this, to this area. It's not a wrong decision in and of itself. It's not wrong to necessarily move somewhere in the country. What it, the reason that it's wrong is that you have moved from the community of faith where you are growing in Christ in a, in a tentative time. And oftentimes we say to the folks that are in this situation, hey, I want to encourage you to stay put. Don't leave. Don't walk away. That's not forever. This is not a cult. You're not in for life, by the way, along with the membership thing. Like you, you, you can go at some point. We won't make you drink anything before you leave or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, but seriously, uh, no, uh, we, won't, we won't do that. But no, it's, it's when you're in the beginning of your faith. Where we're using discernment, those of us who are leaders and, and, and disciples of Jesus Christ here, and we've seen you grow, and then you pick up and you say, okay, I'm going somewhere else, and we just, sometimes we say something, sometimes we don't. But you got to think about, I'm growing right here and right now. It may not be at Outward Church. Maybe you moved here. Maybe you need to go back. Because God was doing great stuff in your home church, wherever that was. It might be in this city. It might be in another city. Maybe you need to go there. But it's moving your tents to a place where things are tentative. It's not clear that God is going to continue to work in your life in that place because you're in a place where you could get yourself into trouble. How do we do this? We do it over and over again by spending time with the wrong friends. It's, my, it's, it's, it's having our closest relationships 
with people that are against God at times, with people that give us advice on our relationships, like our marriage, and you bring something that's heartfelt and difficult in your marriage, and you're bringing that to somebody who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, that doesn't hold to the ethic of it's marriage for life between one man and one woman, and you bring life to them and you say, my husband did this, my wife did that, and they say, oh yeah? You're better than this. You deserve better. You guys weren't really ever married to begin with. Like you, you guys should just, you know, separate. You should be apart. Now, there is reason for divorce. I think there is. There's some biblical reasons for it. But most of the time, that is not coming from non-believers. In fact, all of the time. I'll just be clear. It's, it's moving your tent closer to Sodom. It's saying, my friendships are in the world. I kind of have this life with God, but my friendships, my deepest, my closest relationships are in the world. And they give me advice on the relationships that I have, on the people that I should date, on the business opportunities I should take. It's, that is moving your tent towards Sodom. It is. In and of itself, the, the one decision by itself may not seem all that bad. But you put that together with a number of decisions and you've got a recipe for disaster. It's, it's an ideology that you move into. It's an ideology of compromise. You begin to move your tents closer to Sodom when you say, you know what? I don't love what Paul has to say in the New Testament. I don't love what the Word of God says in this place. And so, you know what? I think it's cool that you like the, the Apostle Paul. I think it's cool that you like his theology. But you know what? I'm kind of a red letter Christian. People say this sometimes. I'm kind of the person who really, I just like Jesus' words. I don't like the other words. You, my friend, are in compromise. You, you are likely to take on an ideology that says, you know, God is a God of love. And so why would we even be talking about judgment? You're in compromise. You have moved your tents towards Sodom. You are steps away from being in it. This happens all the time. How do we do that? Just a couple of steps here and there. Just some life choices. It's foolishness. It's stupidity. It's making decisions without talking to somebody who's a godly advisor in your life. It's thinking that you know best. It's not, it's not asking God. And by the way, I'm not God. I, I can't speak for God. I can give you what I think God might say. I can, we can go to the Word and we can, we can say, you know, here's some principles that I think you need to apply. But the people that are close in your life, they, they're the ones that could point out, hey, you're moving your tent a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And you're, I don't see you at church as much. I don't, I don't see you worshiping Jesus with your life. I don't see you worshiping Jesus with the way that you live. Next verse here. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, westward. What is God saying to Abram? He's saying, look everywhere. Look around you. 
Look all the way around. Do you see what, do you see what, you're, what you're looking at? Do you know what you're seeing here? For all the land that you see, I give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. What's God doing? He's reaffirming his promise. He, remember, he said, go to the land that I'm going to give you. I'm going to make you into great, a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you, I'm gonna, and those who curse you, I'm going to curse. God's reaffirming his blessing. Why is he reaffirming his blessing? Look at Abram. Uh, the verse before that, Abram settled in the land of Canaan. What's Abram doing? Abram's walking with God. Look at how he affirms this. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre. This is a good place, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. What's Abram doing? He's regularly worshiping. What, what else is happening in Abram's life? He's hearing from God. Which, by the way, means this, that he's listening for God. Do you know how many times we're, we're just talking to God? Hey, God, I need this, I need that, I need the other thing. Would you heal me? Would you help me? Would you take me? Would you do this? Would you give me a girlfriend? Would you give me a boyfriend? Would you, whatever it is you're asking for. He's listening to God. God is speaking to him. Do you see the difference here? And Lot lifted up his eyes earlier in the passage. God is the one who lifts the eyes of Abram. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Lift up your eyes. God is the one who lifts up Abram's eyes. God is the one who makes the decision for Abram. God is the one that Abram is listening to and walking with and worshiping. Now, how can you do good works like Abram? How can you do good works like Abram? There's a couple of ways that you could do this. One is you could say, okay, I've written down some notes here, Matt, and no offense if you've been taking notes, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm flattered. So I'm, I, am, I am not going to follow what my eyes say. I'm not going to make a decision without talking to God. I'm not going to move my tent towards Sodom by getting close to sin. I'm not going to, and then I'm going to start. I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to go worship God. I'm going to do all these things. And let me just tell you, you could take that list, and it wouldn't mean beans. Like the whole sermon up until now, it's almost worthless, almost. It it's almost isn't going to help you at all. Because if you look at Abram's life and you say, you know what, Abram, I want to be just like you. Guess what? You can't by following his, his steps. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the other thing. You can't do it. You can't make it happen. See, there's some people that thought that they could make it happen. They were in a church in Galatia. And what they started teaching was they started teaching that you've got to follow the law. The Old Testament law that comes after Abram, Abraham. 
They say, you got to follow the law to a T, which includes becoming circumcised. In order to be a Jesus follower, you've got to follow the law. That's what it is. And so the Apostle Paul writes a letter to these heretics, to this church, and he corrects them. And he says in Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law? Did you get saved because you were good? <coughs> Did you get saved because of what you've done? Or by being... Perf uh, or are you so foolish having uh, begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, and if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Does God do great things in your life because you're good? Is God withholding blessing from you because you've been bad? Is God's work in your life dependent on how righteous and good and following all the directions that Matt just gave you about Abram? Is that, what, is that what's going to be the basis of whether you're with God or whether you're without God? Because the Apostle Paul says here, did you get this because you were doing what was right or did you get this by hearing with faith? He says in Galatians 3, verse 6, just as Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What's he, what's he trying to say? He's saying, listen, Abram actually believed God. He believed God. That's what he did. What did Abram do? He did all of these things. No, but the core of who Abram was was that he believed God. He, says, he, he just makes it crystal clear. Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Everyone who relies on doing good things like Abram, doing all of these righteous deeds like Abram and all of these other heroes of the faith, everyone who relies on doing good things is under a curse. Is under a curse. Everyone who thinks, I'm going to get to God by doing good things, is under a curse. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. It says this, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. The one who does them shall live by them. If you depend on your goodness to get you to God, if you depend on your goodness and your righteousness in somehow being like Abram, you're under a curse. It's the curse of the law. If you're going to do them, you've got to live by them. If you're going to do the works of the law, if you're going to try to be good and dot every I and cross every T and all of this stuff in your life, ultimately, you're going to be held to a standard of that. And you have no standing with God because there's no way that you can fulfill that law. 
There's no way that you can do right. There's no way that you can be wise in your, your interactions with people. It's not going to happen. It's like me when I was a kid, and I grew up in the church, and I felt like I can never be good enough. I, I, was, I was struggling so difficult, even though I knew the gospel, there was something about me that just constantly came back to, yeah, but I can't be good. I can't be good enough. I keep screwing my life up. I, get, I got involved in drinking too much alcohol. I got involved in wrong relationships with women. I got involved in sin in general. Why? It's because I was constantly dependent. My faith in Christ was my good works. My faith in Christ was my wise living, and I kept failing, and I kept failing, and I kept failing. Here's the problem. The person that goes through life, and they don't fail, and they don't fail, and they don't fail. They are able to look like they're a, a good and wise Christian. They are able to keep things in check because they're doing their best for God so that God will accept them. Guess what? They're in deep trouble. Guess I'm in deep trouble because I can't keep the law no matter how hard I try. I'm just a screw-up. And guess what? You're also in trouble if you think that you've got it all figured out and now you're a good person and you've done great things for God. You're also in trouble, my man. Because everyone who depends on works of the law is cursed. You can't get to, the God by, get to God by doing good, by doing right, by keeping the law. So how do you get to law? It says in verse, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, Now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. That is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abram by a promise. What did that just say? The law did not come for 430 years. So how is Abram justified when there was no law to keep? There was no law for him to keep because it, not, it had not been instituted. So how does this happen? If... Our salvation comes through the good that we do, we're in trouble. But if it comes by a promise, if it comes from believing a promise, and what is the promise? It says in verse 27, For as many, as, uh, as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor, uh, there is neither slave nor free, there's, there's no male and female, for you all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram, or Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What does that mean? God gives a promise to Abram, and he says, to your offspring, I'm going to give this land. Look around you. 
Look, look at the promise that, you're, that, that, you, that you have coming to you. Who is that offspring? It is Christ. And you and I are in Christ. If you've been baptized into Christ, you have Christ. You are his. And so what does this mean? It means this, that you and I become righteous, get saved by believing the promise of God in the same way that Abram believed the promise of God. Abram believed God. Look at his life. Why did Abram follow God? Why did he depend on him? Why was he listening for him? Why was he worshiping him? Because he believed God. He believed the promise. He believed what was going to happen. How do you walk with God with wisdom and in righteousness and all of these things and not move your tents to Sodom? You believe God. You cannot start with the law. You cannot start with saying, I'm going to do some good things. You must start with flat out believing the promise. And the promise is this. You cannot have relationship with God based on what you do. It's, it, you cannot have it. It will not take place. You are under a curse. The promise is this, is that Jesus Christ went to the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that you did a little bit of good. It wasn't that you kind of cleaned up your life. It wasn't that you're kind of getting things together and acting more wise and, and having good relationships and stuff like that. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the promise is this, that you get to be included in Christ if you trust him. And ladies and gentlemen, if you believe that promise, that you are saved, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done, your life will change as a result. Abram's life changed not because he was a good person. Abram's life changed because he just flat out believed God. If you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, God could never save me because he doesn't, he, you don't know what I've been into, Matt. That is not believing the promises of God. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. All it takes is believing God. That when he went to the cross for you, that he died for you. He died for that sin. You say, Matt, but since then, you should hear about where my life has been. The relationship that I had or I have. The things that I'm involved with. But you don't know... Here's the thing, is that that is not to believe God, that's to believe yourself. You've got to put faith in God and trust him that he has saved you. He went to the cross for that sin. And you might say, Matt, you don't even understand the level of pride that I have in my life. I've never done anything bad. I've always been a really good person. I feel like I don't have a testimony. I feel like I, could, you know, I just really don't have this great relationship with God because I wasn't a crack dealer, uh, you know, shooting people and whatever, you know, that, that kind of thing. No, but you don't even understand. The reason why you feel like that is because you have massive pride and you will not believe the promise of God that you need a Savior in Jesus Christ. You must 
Put your faith in Jesus Christ and to his promise that he has saved you. Abram put his faith in God. It was a declaration of the first of the gospel. It's the gospel being preached. Abram believes the gospel. You and I must believe the gospel. The gospel is this, that we get righteousness not through what we do, but because of who we believe. It's believing the promises of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I don't know what you're doing in, in, uh, in this place here and now. But God, I'm asking for, for tender hearts that desire relationship with you that is not based on what we do, but is based on who you are. Lord, I pray that we would see that our righteous actions flow out of our faith. They do not make us righteous. They flow out of our faith and your proclamation that our, it is through faith that we gain righteousness. So Lord, would you, would you speak the truth to us right now? Would you correct error in our minds? Lord, would you cause us to walk in a new way with you? In Jesus' name.